I'm excited as hell to be a Dallas Cowboy. Who was the toughest guy to tackle? Ezekiel Elliott. Feed Elliott. What's up, Cowboy Nation? Let's get it! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Row Cowboy Show, a proud part of the Back Row Sports Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Back Row Cowboy Show. It's your host, Adam, and across from me, as always, my co-host, Seth. What's up, Cowboy Nation? And welcome to the 2022 offseason. Um, you know, unfortunately, like we discussed... The last time we were on the show, things didn't end the way we wanted it to. Pretty disappointing way to end the season. Uh, we're just a few days away from the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. You have Rams versus Bengals. I don't think anyone would have predicted this matchup. I'm sure there were people that, that are going to make a lot of money off Vegas, and that's what they bet at the beginning of the year. But it was just a tough matchup to predict. But I, I'm super excited for the Super Bowl and – um, for the finish of the 2021 season, Seth, I know you're hyped about the matchup, and I know you've already said you know you're rolling with the Bengals. I- I'm very conflicted. I-, I like a lot of the Rams. Uh, my daughter is a big fan of OBJ. Uh, she likes the player and, and and some of the things he does in, uh, for like kids and and stuff like that in the off season. So I- I'm very conflicted on the game, but. I just want to see a good game and a, a great end to the 2021 season as it's been a really, really great year for football. Yeah, uh, like you said, it's very unfortunate that uh, things ended the way they did. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely on the Bengal bandwagon. Uh, you know, they ain't been there since, what, 88. So, for me, it's no-brainer to go for the Bengals. But, anyway, back to the Cowboys. Seth, um, you ready for the halftime show? Oh, man. Well, I ain't been this excited about halftime show since. I was excited when it was like Big Boy because I, ho- I, I was hoping Andre 3000 was going to come out and it wasn't going to be Big Boy. I was hoping yeah, it was yeah. going to be Outcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I think every man in the world enjoyed the J-Lo Secura two years ago, but. For this this one to actually be something that we grew up and enjoyed the music, you know, when I say J-Lo and Secure, well, it had nothing to do with the music, obviously. But, you know, Eminem, Dr. Dre, me and, I mean, me and you grew up listening to that. Snoop Dogg, and man. Snoop, I mean. This, I, I love Kendrick Lamar. Um, you know, out of the new wave, quote unquote, I still consider him, you know, kind of the newer wave or the newer generation of of hip hop. He's he's easily one of the top two or three guys. He's one of the few for me in the new wave that that you listen to. That's 
still in the old school. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, so yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm ready. I just I, wish we were there. And I'm a big fan of Mary J. Blige as well. Uh, you know, I like her R and B. She's done plenty of uh, collaborations with yeah. hip hop artists, and and she just man, she kills it every time. So yeah, I'm super pumped for the halftime show. Um, you know, hoping to eat some good food, hoping to see some good commercials, and and, and all that'll blend with what's going to be a fantastic game of football. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is the 2022 offseason. And Seth and I have been doing a lot of discussion on kind of how we're going to handle the offseason and how we're going to be more present throughout the year. And you can, I think Seth and I both think that coaching, the coaching offseason is, is pretty much ended. Yeah. Um, all the teams' vacancies have been filled, borrowing. Uh, Barring a head coach being fired at some point in the near future, uh, teams are pretty much set in stone. Uh, there's probably not going to be a lot of movement from coordinators, so it's looking like we're pro- like our coaching staff from 2021. It's probably going to be the coaching staff in 2022. So Seth, that's what Seth and I are here to talk about: is the coaching staff, our thoughts, um, whether we're happy or sad that guys are here and. Um, what we're hoping continues, improves, whatever it may be in 2022. Yeah, I guess we just go ahead and uh, we'll start with the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we just found out. I, I, I think we start at the top. Let's just let's work our way down. And and obviously Mike McCarthy leads in into oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, offensive side of the ball. So why don't we why don't we just start? You know, let's talk McCarthy. Um, I like McCarthy. I think. The only thing I don't really like about McCarthy is the fact that uh, he doesn't hold players accountable. And that's something that was an issue with Green Bay, you know, back in the day when, when he had Aaron Rodgers and he won the Super Bowl. And um, they still averaged like seven or eight a game, which is very high, very high. And that was something we've seen a lot this year and ultimately is what ended our season because I'm pretty sure we had 14 penalties that game against the 49ers and lost. So, But if you look at it throughout the year, all our close games that we lost, look at the penalties. And I guarantee you that was a big reason why we lost those games. And um, other than that, I mean, I've always liked Mike McCarthy. You know, he'd done a lot in Green Bay. And his first two years in Dallas, you know, we kind of gave him a mulligan for his first year because, you know, Dak was hurt and, you know, a lot of things did not go our way last year. Defense so. was in shambles his yeah. first year at least. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it, it's hard to say. You know, he's put put together a good staff. Um, we don't know exactly how much input he had into the staff because, you know, Kellen Moore was already there when he got there. And bringing in Dan Quinn – how much he lobbied for him, I don't. We don't know. Is that something we'll never know? Uh, Jerry Jones always likes to take credit for the things that are good. So, um, but like I said, other than holding the players accountable, uh, he's definitely got us on the right track. If it meant, if you had to ask me right now, if it meant losing Quinn then I'd rather lose McCarthy and bring make Quinn our head coach. 
That's how I feel about it because I feel like he would hold his players accountable and he subbed in for that one game and the Cowboys played great. Now, that could have been a fluke thing or whatever. It was a one game. But still, um, if it meant picking one or the other, then I would gladly see McCarthy leave and Dan Quinn get promoted. But that's just my thoughts. Uh, My thoughts on McCarthy are, you know, I'm on board with you. I think you brought it up in uh, a previous podcast where you talked about he averaged almost 11 penalties a game. And it was like 10 or 11 penalties it was, a it game. Was, it was right at nine, I think it was. Um, That's a lot. I mean, it's still a lot. I mean, um, four or five maybe, but double that? Yeah. that I mean, I think that, that we're in agreement that that's the biggest problem, especially the way we run our offense. And the way we run our defense, we are a chains-playing team for good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is. It's the way the offense is set up to run. It's kind of the way the defense is set up to run. The defense is set up to if to get teams in third and long and unleash the Mika Parsons, the Demarcus Lawrence, the Randy Gregories, and if you're gonna if you're gonna run a scheme like that, it's it's fine. It works. But you can't beat yourself because you're going to put yourself in bad situations against good teams. And, and and we did that. And the teams that played sound fundamentally, which were the Denvers, the the Las Vegas Raiders, just to, just to name a couple. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are always going to be sound fundamentally. You know, when Tom Brady's your quarterback – Things are always going to be clean and neat, and he's not going to make mistakes. It's not that surprising to me that those teams beat us. It's frustrating that Denver and the Raiders beat us, and even Kansas City. Kansas City played a pretty clean game against us. They didn't have the big plays, but that was kind of part of what teams are doing against Kansas City now. They're dropping two safeties back, and they're making them – take what the defense has given him, and, and that's just the evolution of, of Mahomes. He's starting to show that he's willing to get the ball out early, get him to his get the ball to his playmaker's hands, and, and let them do work after the catch. The teams that played sound, clean football against us, you can go and throw the San Francisco 49ers in as well. Those are the teams that beat us because those kind of teams don't do anything to beat themselves. So if we're doing things that beat ourselves – we're putting ourselves into a, a corner against a team like that that just plays clean, fundamental football. Sadly, you look like you have something to say. I don't. I was just kind of looking at a couple things here. I just uh, oh, I thought I'm sorry. Uh, I, I thought maybe you were looking at like some McCarthy stats or, or something like that. I wasn't looking at anything specific, but you know, I don't know the exact defensive ranks right off the top of my head. But you know, we had the number one offense in the league. And our defense wasn't great at the beginning, but it, it came along at the end of the season, and they basically were carrying us uh, when the offense was struggling. Uh, but the penalties, man, just the penalties on when you had that good drive going, you had five or six play drive going, or you get inside the red zone and then you get a holding call. Well, it looks like a touchdown where you get a holding call. All right, well, now you're outside of the red zone. Two plays later, you're third and three. You complete the pass, but it's another holding call. And that was the kind of the story of our defense. I mean, our 
uh, season, period. And uh, the penalties is, is, to me, is what word I would use for the 2021 season. The, the problem is championship-caliber football teams tend to not do things like that over and over again. They may have spurts. They may have games. But it's not a consistent thing for championship-winning football teams. I mean, that's it. The turnovers that we were getting on defense, we had the number one offense. Of course, you know, that, that sputtered. But when you add the penalties on top of that, it's just – if you don't playing play sound fundamental football – then that'll kill you on its own. You know, if let's say we win the San Francisco 49er game, which which we felt we were the superior team talent-wise. Okay, we win that game. We're the three seed, so we would play Tampa Bay. Obviously, if the Rams win their game and their game holds the same, they'd play uh, Green Bay. What are the chances in Tampa that – we're not going to experience the same result we had at the beginning of the year with how penalized we kind of were as the season ramped up. I mean, yeah, that would – it would have definitely been an interesting matchup. But at the beginning of the year when we played Tampa Bay the first time, the defense was an issue and the offense carried that game. We want no question about that. Yeah. Um but I'm like you, you know, if if you go in because we were the league leading team in penalties. So to go into that game and do the penalties like I felt like it would have been we would have lost that game. Even if we win that. I mean, we don't know. Even but. if we win that, you've got to go and play a Green Bay or you've got to play a Rams team um, that, that are both extremely – have – both have extremely talented teams. Same thing with Tampa Bay. Then if we win that, we still go to the Super Bowl. And the thing is, it's, just, it's too hard to combat against these teams that are on paper as talented, maybe even more talented than you when you're doing those things to hurt you, like penalties. And, and I think that's always a big thing. It's one thing that, that commentators always talk about. It's one thing that coaches always talk about. It's one thing that random people always talk about when they talk about football. One thing that's constantly on the mind when teams lose games are penalties. You're giving up free yards or taking earned yards. I mean, And especially you look at other things like our kicking struggles. How many field goals would Zerline have potentially not had to kick had we just completed the pass on third and three and gotten the first down, kept the chains moving? A set-up holding penalty, now third and 13. Dak completes an eight-yard pass on third and 13. It's now fourth and five. So, in theory, wherever we were on third down to kick the field goal, we're there, same spot. Yeah. But we could have been further up. Maybe we didn't even – maybe we wouldn't have had to kick a field goal. I know it's a lot of speculation, but the problem is it's all you can do at this point. Yeah. But the one thing we know is – the, the penalties did nothing to help us. And what's going to change in Mike Marthy's and Mike McCarthy, what's going to change in year whatever as a head coach for Mike McCarthy? That w- what's going to be different this year than has been in the rest of his career when it's been 
nine plus penalties averaged. Uh, and that's the thing. It's it's one of those things that us as Cowboy fans are afraid of because it's something that has been part of his whole coaching career. So to expect change or a big change like that is slim and none. But he also he's also got to know that he's on the hot seat. Hundred percent. He's a hundred percent on the hot seat, and I think that's part of the reason why they signed Quinn to that extension. Extension and a pay raise. Yes. So, to me, that's it. Hey, Jerry Jones saying, "Hey, if you don't tighten things up, I got a man waiting." And the problem, not a problem, but another thought is Jerry's seen how the team responds when Quinn's the head coach. Mm-hmm. And how the players react and how the players feel. And I asked you how many penalties were in that game, and I think you said it was something like it was between like eight and ten. So it's not like the penalties were any better in the New Orleans game, and it's not like it was something that changed as a result of it being Quinn versus McCarthy. But you saw that the team could win without McCarthy as the head coach. Yes, and yeah, that that did not help him at all. But I mean, to expect. A team that goes from habit to change in one game, you know, the penalties don't necessarily reflect on Quinn because it, he was a, a interim head coach for a week that popped up Monday or Tuesday of the week or whatever. So, now, I, I do think you know. Well, we'll we'll I guess we'll talk about it when we talk about Quinn. Um, yeah, that that's about all I have on McCarthy. My problem is. I think he needs to find a way, and I think the only way we get to that next step, that next level, and, and somewhere we kind of both feel the team can be based off talent on the roster, or, or at least what we had in 2021, is you got to take – the penalties have got to go away. It's got to get better. We've got to be a more disciplined team. Well, it's something that he's got to really look into. And because we've said it multiple times before – how many coaches do you know has had a third chance at head coaching job? This is it. He either he's got to know that this is. It's not just a hot seat on head coach for the Cowboys. It could be for head coaching. Period. Yeah. So so he's got to know that he's got to do something to change something. Yeah, I, I agree. Um and and part of what I wanted to bring up about McCarthy, but I wanted to save it for this coach. Um, and if you don't have anything else to say about McCarthy, and, and that's really all I've got to say. I think the resume is fantastic. The, the winning percentage is great. But the one thing that's made me nervous is the fact that how many years did he have Aaron Rodgers? How many years did he have elite quarterback play in general in Green Bay? And, His whole career. And couldn't do any – won one Super Bowl. Yep. And only, only go to one. Yeah, you're right, Seth. He's only been to the one Super Bowl that they did win. He's been to a few NFC Championship games as well. I believe it was three with Green Bay. Well, three losses yep. in NFC Championship games. Obviously, won one because they went to the Super Bowl. The resume is great. You know, you look at the, the Super – the fact that he's won a Super Bowl and – Two years ago, you could say how many Super Bowl winning head coaches were on the market. And that's great, but 
you you look at a team like Green Bay that's always drafted pretty well. They've developed players pretty well. They haven't always gotten a, a ton of talent around Aaron Rodgers. They've had Devonta Adams. He's you know one of the best receivers in the game. They haven't found great compliments to him. Although I like Lazard, I like MVS. I'm not sure they're either. I'm not sure either one of them is a solid number two. Um, but they, you know, Aaron Jones has been good. AJ Dillon was is a really good player. Um, the offensive line has always been pretty strong. And, and then even if you look at the, some of the defenses he had when McCarthy was there, you're talking about players like Julius Peppers for a year or two, and then he had Charles Woodson and. That that's when it kind of ended up winning the Super Bowl for him is that defense really kind of elevated to the level of the offense. But and there's yeah, uh, Clay Matthews the whole time too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. Um, but he's always had some star power. He's always had good players around him. One great thing about having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers is it's not it's not it's not a bad way to recruit free agents. Guys like Julius Peppers, guys like Charles Woodson. That, that are kind of trying to sign on and kind of revive their career or, or chase the ring, quote-unquote. Well, if you come to Green Bay, number 12 is back there taking snaps. It's not a bad opening um, statement. But even with all that, it is only one Super Bowl. Yep. And you have to worry and you have to think and you have to debate some how much of that is maybe because, as a coach, there's a little bit of lack of discipline. And, you know, maybe things were hidden hidden in Green Bay and things, you know, weren't – didn't come as uncovered as they have in Dallas. I mean, it's – here's the thing. And I'm not here to not deck Prescott because, you know, that's my dude, but – I think we both agree on the fact that Aaron Rodgers is a better overall quarterback than Dak is. Aaron Rodgers, like talent. I'm talking about arm yeah. talent, athleticism, accuracy, decision-making. He's probably going to be top five in all of that. Whether yeah. you put him top five because of resume and this and that, you know, that's up for debate when he retires. Well, what I, what I was getting at was – a lot of the penalties and stuff like that were hidden because you had somebody like Aaron Rodgers that could get you out of the bind. And I'm not knocking Dak at all. I mean, Dak got us out of a lot of binds, but know, but, but should I'm, but should he have to? No, he shouldn't have to. And unfortunately, that's just the way his whole entire coaching career has been. He hasn't been able to hold players accountable for it. So to expect that to change in 20. 22, uh, I doubt. But, I mean, even if you can average two or three less, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's – I can't remember how many offensive penalties you said, just offensive in the San Francisco game. But I can think of – man, there was one drive. I I think Dak had to overcome at least two or three – Holding penalties, and he ended up converting all of them. And I, we ended up kicking a field goal. I think we ended up uh, trying out a field goal try in, in that game against 49ers. Problem is, if you don't have those holding penalties, and you don't take those 20 yards, and you don't have to, to regain those additional 20 yards, how much further do you push that ball up? 
and and we were a, a strong red zone team. The problem, another thing is, is when you're that strong in the red zone, as strong as we were, and I'm going to look up stats as soon as I defer this conversation to you, if you don't hurt yourself with penalties, how many more red zone attempts a game for Dallas? Yeah. One? Two? And hell, that, that, was, that was one of the biggest things that we was harping on coming into the season was the fact that every time we got into the red zone, we would struggle and only put up three points. This year was different. When we got in the red zone, we were a much better red zone team this year on offense. But the penalties negated a lot of it. And it's just something that's going to have to change. I mean, you can't expect to be that undisciplined and expect to win, especially when you get to the postseason. You can't be that undisciplined and expect to win week in and week out. So, uh, th- that is, that's the biggest thing I have on McCarthy as far – but other than that, like I said, I like everything else that he does as a coach. He just needs to hold his players accountable. We were number six in red zone touchdown percentage behind Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Seattle – that's hard to hear because yeah. Seattle ran the lowest number of plays in the NFL. But that's a different story for a different time. Um, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chargers, Dallas Cowboys, number six. How many more red zone opportunities do we see just if you get rid of the, the penalties? And, and that's – I love McCarthy – you know, love what he's done with the team and, 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 you know, whatever say he's had on the coaching staff, it has worked and it's it's done well, but penalties matter. So it's got to get fixed in 2022, or I think as Cowboys fans, you're probably going to be buckling up for another long season because it's just when the games really, really matter, they're too tough to overcome. Yep. So with that, let's uh, move it over to – you know, something I really wanted to talk offense a little more with Mike McCarthy. One other thing with Mike McCarthy, I think it's, I don't think he always utilized timeouts wisely and time management. Yeah, game management was um, a little bit. So that's kind of my McCarthy review. That's a quick statement. I don't want to dig too much into that. But if you, if you want to look further into that, look look game after game where there's like two minutes and thirty seconds left. And we have third down as a defense, and we don't call timeout, and we let the other team run it down in two-minute warning instead of calling a timeout. Yeah. And trusting our defense to get us off the field, and most of the time they did. Um, but So no, no point in jumping down that rabbit hole. Uh, let's move over to Kellen Moore. I'm going to start to Kellen Moore. I was hoping he was going to be Miami's head coach. I was hoping he was going to be Jacksonville's head coach. Um I like Kellen Moore. I like the fact that we were the number one offense in the league. I like the fact that we've been consistently in his tenure, you know, a top five offense in the league, at least when number four is quarterbacking and it's not Cooper Rush or Andy Dalton. Um, My problem is we go through way too many spurts where things are just cold. And, and Seth, I'm sure you're going to piggyback off of this because it's something you and I talk about quite frequently. You've got C.D. Lamb. You've got Amari Cooper. I, I'm going to throw Gallup in there because we had Gallup for, for most of last year, and, and we had Gallup for stretches of this year. Um, 
and you can't seem to scheme them open. We were talking to uh, Troy Aikman and Tony Romo. We're, we're talking about the Cowboys 49ers game and the space that they were given CeeDee Lamb. Troy Aikman said that Michael Irvin would have had 10 catches at half. He would have said, he would have said with the space they were giving him, I would have looked over at him and checked to him. We would have done one of those checks that me and Michael Irvin did. Or where Michael Irvin, whatever his route was, turned into either a ten yard comeback route or just an easy slant. If he was if he was by himself on the side, then it turned into a slant. If it was multiple guys there, then his his route would become a dig route or a comeback route. And he even said, with the way they were singling up, the way they were covering him, he said Michael Irvin would have had ten catches because to me. I know that I knew that Michael Irvin was going to win those one on one. I knew Michael Irvin was going to win those one on ones, and you have to think that Dak thinks that Ceedee Lamb is going to win the same thing. But for some reason, they weren't checking to easy plays like that for Ceedee Lamb. Is that Dak, or is that Kellen Moore? I want to give Dak the benefit of the doubt because Dak seems to be fantastic through progressions. You see it all the time. Starts with Amari, works his way to Lamb, works his way to whoever number three is, Gallup, Wilson, Brown, works his way to Schultz, works his way to Zeke, whatever it is. Dak's not a one one and done guy. You know, he he works his progression. So I tend to think that Dak's gonna make those checks at the line if available. And even if Dak wasn't making those checks, I believe it's up to Kellen Moore. You see him going through the iPad every time we're on defense. You go through the iPad and you see what the defense was showing. I'm going to trust a Hall of Fame quarterback, his analysis of the defense. I'm going to trust a Tony Romo as a commentator when they say, man, the way I was looking at that when I had Dez or when I had uh, Michael Irvin, they would have had a game that showed why they were the best, some of the best in the league. People keep talking about CeeDee Lamb. Oh, he's got some of the best talent in the league. The, the, you know, the ceiling, there is no ceiling for him. And he can be up there with the, the young receivers like Jefferson and Chase and this and that. And he can be up there in that discussion. But we don't always scheme him that way. And that's, that's my problem with Kellen Moore. Amari Cooper has 800 receiving yards. That's, that was the NFL's highest paid receiver when he signed his contract. How I know Schultz is open, and and you, that we find ways to scheme Schultz open. We find ways to scheme Zeke open in the flat. We found ways to scheme Cedric Wilson open. How can you not find ways to scheme Ceedee Lamb, Amari Cooper? Those those pick plays that get guys open. That that all the really strong offenses tend to run. Those quick get it out of get it out of our hands quick and get into the playmakers' um, hands and let them do work after the catch. There's not a lot of that in the offense. That's my concern with Kellen Moore. Is it seems like the innovation's not quite there. The 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 scheming your talent open. It's not quite there. And I, I was kind of ready for maybe not a fresh start, but maybe a fresh perspective of someone else getting their hands on that playbook. Yeah, I mean, you would, you would have thought that maybe, and McCarthy said it before. He said that um, the offensive coordinator is going to be the guy calling the plays, making the adjustments. Um, 
you would have thought maybe at some point maybe McCarthy would have stepped in and be like, hey, maybe we can work this way to get this guy open. Maybe we can work this way to get this guy open. Uh, it was too many games, like you said, there was too many games where CeeDee Lamb would literally disappear from the game. And the same thing is to say for Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper was the same way. Cedric Wilson should not be our go-to guy. And I say Cedric Wilson or Schultz for that matter. I say Cedric Wilson because Gallup was out for most of the year with injuries or a lot of the season anyway. The fact that – and I understand C.D. Lamb had a, a little struggle with drops this year. But at the end of the day, if they don't have – if they only have three or four targets throughout the entire game, then something's not right. And the only reason maybe they only have three or four targets out of the game is if we're blowing somebody out of the water and we're up by 40 points. I mean, I can understand that. But in a close game and CeeDee Lamb only has four targets or Amari Cooper only has three or four targets, and like you said, Amari Cooper was the highest-paid highest wide receiver when he signed his contract. Um, to me, that's just like – it's disrespectful to the fans. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, you have all these weapons, and you can't find ways to get them open. And you – I understand the number one offense in the league, but, man, we was hot the first six, seven weeks of the season. And then after that, it was just – We hit that four we or five mediocre. game cold strike. Yeah, we was mediocre at best. You know, you and I talked about it when we talked about the Philly game. We even said – we want the starters to stay out there because we need the reps going into the playoffs. We put up a massive game against Philly. The problem was there was a lot of backups in that game. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that because we ran our offense. We got the valuable reps, but the problem is not a lot came from it. And I, I don't think it's a Dak thing. A lot of people might want to point to Dak on this, but the problem is you've seen Amari Cooper dominate games. You've seen stretches where CeeDee Lamb dominates. I I tend to think they're both crafty, technical receivers. I don't think it's an alpha mentality from them. Well, I don't want to interrupt, but CeeDee Lamb is one of the most dangerous players in the league after he gets the ball in his hand. 100%. Why? Like you said, do the quick slants or the dig routes or anything more. I mean, even do a wide receiver screen. Let the man work in open field. It didn't happen very much. And and that's the way you get your players or your star players involved. And it's just, just something that was it was just missing. Something was missing. I think my frustration with all this is, and, and, and you know, you and I talked about this, you watch the L.A. Rams, correct, at some point this season? Yeah. I watched a lot of their games because, you know, my daughter's an Odell Beckham fan. and um, So, once he got traded to the Rams, uh, if the Cowboys weren't on, we were watching a Rams game together. It baffles me 
that every defensive coordinator that plays the L.A. Rams knows that Cooper Cup's getting 12 targets. And can't stop. And he's still wide open on nine of them. Like, wide open. How can you scheme? I think Odell Beckham clearly proved I'm not going to trash too hard on Baker Mayfield because we'll go on a long tangent, but I think I think Odell Beckham at least proved there's still quite a bit of gas in the tank uh, after he, after he yeah. signed with L.A. Um, there were stretches in which he looked like he could still be a really good 1B um, on a team, I think, potentially a 1A depending on um, what else is around him. So... But you still know that you still know that offense runs through Cooper Cup. He ran a, he won the triple crown. Yeah. But even throughout the playoffs, teams could not stop him. So how was Sean McVay able to every single week scheme Cooper Cup open? How was he able to scheme Odell Beckham open? You saw plays where Van Jefferson was running wide open down the field. How was he able to scheme those guys open? How were we able to even scheme Cedric Wilson open? How are we able to scheme Dalton Schultz open? But we can't consistently scheme CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Two wide receivers that are better than Cup, in my opinion. In my opinion. I said it. I'm sticking with it. Two wide receivers that are better than Cup. Put Cooper, put CeeDee Lamb in the same situation as Cooper Cup. And it's the same thing. I guarantee it. I'll give you C.D. Lamb. I still think uh, Amari Cooper is good. I still think Amari Cooper is good. Amari Cooper is probably the best route runner in the game. Cooper Cup was really good with a not good Jared Goff. He was average. No. He was. Go look at his stats. He was average. Well, we don't have time for that. I don't, I don't I'm just wanna... saying, he was average. If you go back and look at it, he was average. Oh, he was hurt a lot. This was the first year that he had a stud quarterback. and But it's not the point of who's better. The point, the, the fact of the matter is, they were able to scheme him open every game, and we could not scheme consistently Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb. When you have two players of that caliber on the same team, they didn't have they didn't even have Robert Woods this year. They had Cooper Cup. They brought Beckham in late, and Beckham's snap share has really only started increasing pretty robustly in the playoffs. For, for the most yeah. part of the season, after Woods got hurt, it was a lot of Jefferson and, and Cup. And then, yeah, and that's and another thing, Jefferson, you know, when he came back and he started doing his thing, that, that kind of helped the situation a little bit there too. But still, Woods was gone, Beckham wasn't there. Who was taking the heat off Cooper Cup? Nobody. But you were still able to scheme him open. But Kellen Moore, I understand he's a young coach. He's only been an offensive coordinator for three years. He's only been a coach for four years. I understand he's a young coach. But, man, you as a former quarterback yourself, you should be able to scheme your wide receivers open. Well, my problem is you can – you you. that argument doesn't end with L.A. 
that argument continues with the 49ers. That argument continues with, I mean, I don't mean to keep harping on the Shanahan tree, but um, Green Bay. Green Bay's got Devontae Adams and, and not a ton else. But yet, Devontae Adams is always open. He's always getting targets in which he's open. He gets a few a game where he's just wide open. How, how, what isn't Moore doing to make that happen? And I think, I think that, that at the end of the day is, is my problem with Kellen Moore. I, I think Kellen Moore does great with quarterbacks. You've obviously seen what he's done with Dax since Dak's been in the league. You've seen what he's done when Dak's been hurt, and and it's had to be Andy Dalton, and it's had to be Cooper Rush, and I don't think the offensive line did any favors for Andy Dalton last year, and and that's probably one reason why he struggled a little bit. Um, But you saw what Cooper Rush did against the Minnesota Vikings, and so I think Kellen Moore does a great job of propping up the quarterback. I think he does a, a great job of coaching up the quarterback. I think in in spurts, and I think things about his offensive playbook are very, very successful, but I think the one thing that he's always struggled with, and Seth, you've talked about it over and over again, is his ability to adjust, his ability to scheme when plan A isn't, when when what's on the docket isn't working, He's not able to to fix things on the fly, and, and that's and, and that's, that's, that's what's holding him back from. I think, in my opinion, being one of those elite offenses, my elite offensive minds, those guys when the defenses are tightened up and they get tough and things get hard, they're gonna find a way to make things work. Yeah, I mean, it's almost you know like if he goes into a game and he has a plan of how things are going to work, and if they don't work out the way as planned, he continues with the same plan, thinking that one of his playmakers is going to make a play. And, you know, one of my problems is, and one of the things that I've talked about a lot, how many weeks in a row us starting games without just first downs? I'm not talking about field goals. I'm not talking about touchdowns. I'm talking about... How many games in which we couldn't gain 10 yards on the first three downs of the game as the number one ranked offense in the NFL? Everyone sets that first 15, or at least that, that's, you know. You set the tone with that. Most people say that the first 15 is kind of entrenched. And then the offense is, like you said, they're trying to set their tone. They're, they're trying to put their stamp on the game early. And somehow we found ways in those first 15 or the way we began games to not come out and just take games by the throat and just take the momentum early. It it didn't happen often. It didn't happen nearly as often as it should have with an offense of this caliber. Well, you know, thank God for the defense because the defense put us in a lot of situations to make the offense look better than it actually was towards the end of the year. And it, it, it really is the biggest uh, – the biggest problem was the adjustments. Uh, of course, the penalties were big, too, and we've already talked about the penalties, but I'm just saying the inability to adjust is something that's going to have to tra- change drastically going into 22, or, you know, we're going to have that 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 hot start, 
and we're going to level off again. And that's just how I see it because it didn't happen just this year. It happened last year too. And I understand last year Dak wasn't available, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. But the running game wasn't great. Uh, He was quick to get away from the running game. And I understand now, you know, we did find out after the 49er game that uh, Zeke had a PCL tear since week four. So, he had been playing with a torn ligament in his knee for the last 13 weeks of the season. So, I mean, I guess that's big. But even Tony Pollard, you know, he had some big games. And it was almost like, okay – this man just gained 35 yards on two plays, three plays, four plays. And, well, let's just throw it three times, uh, throw it down the field, throw it across the middle, punt the ball, kick field goal, go home, whatever. It was just the adjustments won't dare. And the defense bailed us out on a lot of things. And it's got to change. If it doesn't change, then uh, we'll be sitting here before the Super Bowl again next year, talking the same thing over again. Yeah, I agree. Um, there, there comes a time where you know you hit that brick wall, and 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 what what the usual isn't working. And until Kellen Moore learns to innovate, I just don't see things changing um, for the offense. I think uh, one thing I'd love to see happen, I'd love to see us get some continuity at the left guard position. This is this is my, my hopes and what can change twenty in 2022. I hope, you know, we can get some continuity at the left guard position. I'm hoping you know, we'll see at the wide receiver position. There's a lot of uncertainty. That, that's, that's a different conversation for another week. I think if we can – retain some of what we have at the wide receiver position. I think if Zeke comes back healthy, I think some of those things can elevate the offense in 2022 from what was already a good offense and and, and the number one ranked offense, but we can maybe be a little more, maybe we can be elite a little more consistently and put our teams in better situations to start games and not always have to start off on the back foot asking your defense to make a play. Yeah, I agree with that. Everything you just said, 100%. That's... I think, Seth, we, we might just kind of run down the assistant coaches um, in a little while, but I think for time's sake, I said we go and flip it over to the defense. Seth, I know you're going to want to praise Dan Quinn a lot. I think there are some critiques there as well. Our defense isn't perfect. It's not the – 1985 Chicago Bears. So why don't you go ahead and talk Dan Quinn? Um, give us your thoughts. And, and, you know, he's back. He got a raise and, and he got an extension. Well, the, the excitement about Dan Quinn is um, if, you, if you look at the overall stats, they are, like you said, they're not the best stats. Um, we went from – however many years in a row where we were at the bottom end of turnovers to the most turnovers forced team in the league in 
one year. Uh, so there's a positive on Dan Quinn. Um, the fact that the players just the, – the defensive players oh, – the, the team as a whole, but the defensive players, uh, they love him. They absolutely love playing for Dan Quinn. Uh, you know, he's a hands-on type guy, and that's somebody that we've needed for a long time. Uh, even when we had Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips was a good defensive coach. But he was he's never been the hands-on type. And we it's been so long since we've had a hands-on type coach that uh, it was exciting to see the excitement of the players had playing for him. Um. Of course, he you know he utilize he put all his players in the right position uh, to make plays. Mika Parsons, I mean, what do we what can we say that hasn't been said about Mika Parsons? You know, a guy that was drafted as a linebacker and he turned into a really uh, a all pro defensive end, like a Pro Bowl defensive end slash linebacker, whatever you want to call it, but. Man, he was just great all over the field. Then you take players like uh, Curse and Neil and Kazee. You know, these guys were question marks coming into the 21 season. Nobody – you knew Neil. You know, you knew Neil. He was good. You knew Kazee was good. But they had a lot of injury problems. To bring players like that and to make plays that they made throughout the – and Curse – I mean, we've been praising Curse all year. Like, he's – other than Parsons, he's probably been our best defensive player this year. So um, – He was also the defensive play caller. I mean, wore the headset. Oh, yeah. It, it You know, Parsons wore it to begin the year. And, and things – Parsons was pretty good throughout the year. But you really saw it was – it was early in the season, like week three, week four, week five, you know, kind of whatever it was. They the decision was made to take the headset off Parsons, take away the play calling responsibility, give it to Curse, veteran player, someone I guess they trust a little bit more with it because they wanted to free up Parsons. Look what that did for Parsons. I mean, Parsons went on a stretch to where you know his last couple weeks of the season, there was debate: was he going to be defensive player of the year until T.J. Watt really took off yeah. and. Mika Parsons obviously um, missed a game, and then he had a couple slow games to end the year. But just taking that headset off him and saying, hey, you be Mika Parsons and you make plays, and you worry about your role in, in the defense. Curse, you're you're going to captain the defense. That's not easy. That That is a huge responsibility. It's your job, you know, to call out the play to everyone to make sure everyone's in the right spot. You can't just give that to anybody. Yeah. You know, you see teams when they lose the captain, they lose the guy that has the headset. A lot of times th- there are some defensive exposures because that that continuity, that consistency is not there. I, I think, you know, for Curse to go from a player that we talked about, is he even going to make the team? Yes. To being the guy calling the defense shows what he is, at least in our scheme. I understand he's moved around quite a bit in the NFL, yeah. but in the Dan Quinn defense, he's a heck of a ball player. Well, I mean, yeah, things didn't work out with Minnesota. Things didn't work out in Tennessee for him. Then come here, had a lot of question marks about him. 
And it was like Dan Quinn had the right answers for everything because Neil worked out great for us because he did really well for us. I mean, even going through the draft, um, Osa and uh, Joseph at the end of the year played pretty good. Um, Gallimore. Oh, yeah, Gallimore as well. I mean, well, I mean, we knew Gallimore was going to be good, but he was out for a lot of the year too. The way that he was able to use the depth that he have, you know, uh, well, Urban and uh, Basham and all them and just incorporating all these players in to make the defense much better than it was a year ago. Now, I understand, you know, it won't all fireworks on defense this year because – and really the turnovers gained was big and and covering a lot of that up. The turnovers and the pressure. Yeah. A lot I mean, of sacks. So, I mean, to go from a team that was uh, very few sacks, uh, struggled to get pressure every year, um, and turnovers, to being that exact opposite team, a team that you know is going to get a couple turnovers a game, you know is going to get two or three sacks a game, you know what's going to be in the quarterback's face the entire game. It's just one of those things where it's something that we haven't seen in such a long time, and it's hard not to get excited for it. There's so many Cowboy fans out there, including me. I just said it right when the when the podcast started, that I would have taken Dan Quinn as soon as the season ended, booted McCarthy and sat him at the head coaching spot. And there are thousands on thousands of fans that think the same way that I do. And that's just because we haven't seen the defensive side of the ball be so productive. And, God, I don't even know how far back to go. We've always been an offensive team. We've always had offenses to keep us in games. But it was always the defense that struggled to hold on to win games. And for the fact that the offense was the one that was struggling and the defense was helping us win games, it was an excitement that we haven't felt in such a long time. And the thing is, you know, the reason, one of the things that brought Dan Quinn back to the team was, is he said there was unfinished business. He said there was more to do, and he saw more potential in this team. If you think about it, there were a lot of games missed by Demarcus Lawrence. There were a lot of games missed by Neville Gallimore. There were games missed throughout the year by Keanu Neal. Missed a few games. I think you're you're still looking at the potential of a Kelvin Joseph. You're still looking at the potential of a Nation Wright. They were both rookies that we really liked coming out this year as cornerbacks. I still think Jabril Cox can be a really good player. Uh, we'll, we'll see if the opportunity's there. The, right now, Mika Parsons is kind of the lone linebacker in the room. He's, he's standing around like Will Smith at the end of Fresh Prince. He's got the hand in his pockets, and he's like, hey, who, who's who's here with me in, in 2022? And, and I'm not going to lie to you, I want it to be Jabril Cox. Love the kid coming out. I think his coverage ability allows Mika Parsons to go downhill and he can kind of handle everything at second level. That's a story for another time, even though I just told it. Uh, Quinn said there's unfinished business, and, and I agree. 
I think there's more you can see out of this defense. I think you saw the end of the year what Demarcus Lawrence was and can still be. He's 29. He's not 35. There's still some good years in him. Randy Gregory's for agent. You know, we'll see. Um, you still have Gallimore. You still have Osa. You got to think another year in that off and in, in that defense, and and you think you'll see progression from them going into next season. There are some players you and I like. At the other side, Terrell Basham still going to be here. It was a two-year deal. I don't know what Dorrance Armstrong is. I think he might be a free agent. He is okay. He's a free agent. Um, you got to think that they're going to bring someone's going to be interested in lining up across from Demarcus Lawrence. I think. I think even if it's not Gregory, I think that there's someone in the NFL that says, "Man, I'm I'm a pretty good defensive end." Like a Robert Quinn when he had to reestablish his um, stock, like what we tried to do with Everson Griffin. Maybe if Dan Quinn was our coordinator in two years ago, maybe Everson Griffin has a better season. Yeah. Um, so you got to think that that defensive end position is going to be good. I think the secondary is going to be improved one more year. Digs under his belt. You saw the ceiling. You also saw the floor, and the floor wasn't always great. Um, like you said, the interceptions, the turnovers, that covered up some of the some of the holes that maybe Diggs has. But you, he's hungry. He looks like he wants to be great. He looks like he wants to be the best. You got to think another year, another offseason working with his brother, another offseason working with Joe Witt, another offseason working with Dan Quinn, that he's going to elevate his game as well. And I, I think – I think we've seen the ceiling of the offense, and that that's kind of my frustration with Kellen Moore. Is I'm not sure what more he can do. Yeah, I, I still think there's ceiling. I don't think we're at the ceiling with the defense. I, I think I, I do. I think it's a top eight, six, seven, something like that defense. Um, I, I see the potential in it, and 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 some players have to take a step for sure. We have a lot of young players, and what do you hope young players do? You hope they take that step. And, and if those guys do, and, and keeping that continuity with our, you know, it looks like the whole defensive coaching staff's going to come back. Nothing's changed this year. You know, we we're able to keep Wit. He had a couple defensive coordinator interviews. He's still there. Most of those positions have been filled. If anything changes, we'll let you know. But at least at this date, it looks like the whole de- defensive staff's coming back. That's rare. So you got to hope, especially rare for a team that turned it around the way we did. Yeah. you got to hope that we take that next step and those guys elevate with the coaching staff still back. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said 100%. Um, I don't really have much more to add to that other than – you know, it's rare that you're able to bring your whole coaching staff on one side of the ball back. And it, I'm excited of the unfinished business. I'm excited to see what the unfinished business is because towards the end of the year there, we had just barely hit the tip of the iceberg and things were looking great. And it, like I said, it was the defense carrying the offense the last half of the season. It wasn't the other way around. 
and you know most of the offensive staffs coming back. I, I want to talk about two guys. I want to talk about the new hire. Give my thoughts on him, and then there's just an offensive coach that I kind of want to talk about that I might want to see maybe go. But um, we Adam Henry, the wide receiver coach, his contract expired. They chose not to re-sign him, and but we instead signed Robert Prince. And uh, just a, a quick track record of what he's done the last um, – dating back to 2014 – he was a Detroit Lions wide receiver coach from 2014 to 2020. You're looking at guys like Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, Calvin Johnson. Maybe you've heard of him. Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson. Um, he did some good things with Detroit. Uh, he was Houston Texans wide receivers head coach. Or, um, wide receiver Houston Texans wide receiver coach this year. There, that team was a little bit of a mess, but you had a good year out of Brandon Cooks. You saw some flashes out of Nico Collins. You saw some playmaking ability out of some wide receivers that no one had really heard of. You've seen what he's done when he's had proven talent with Detroit. You've seen yeah. what he's done when he's got some some potential talent with the Texans. Um you're hoping we're able to hold more of the Detroit standard in Dallas. Keep Amari Cooper, still have CeeDee Lamb. You'll see what we do with some of the other guys. We'll even see what we do with Cooper. So you're saying we're bringing Calvin Johnson back in? He looks like he's still in pretty good shape. He could probably still play. I'm just saying. Um, but just I, I want to talk about him real quick but you because you see what he's done when he's got some wide receiver talent around him. Maybe, maybe, and he's a veteran coach. He's, he's, I think he's got 30 years of coaching experience. Yeah. Maybe he comes in, he works with Moore a little bit, works with CeeDee Lamb, works with Amari Cooper. I think he's going to be respected because of the track record he's got with some of the wide receivers that he's, that he's coached. Maybe he can unlock some of that potential that maybe we haven't seen. And, and that's – that's the I, I'm excited at this hire just because of that. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't really have anything else to add to that. I agree with everything you just said, and I'm like you. I'm thinking that maybe he can be the one or is the one that can bring some of that potential out that we haven't seen yet. And out of the wide receiver position, and and kind of one that. Maybe I wanted to see go kind of other than Kellen Moore. I think, you know, obviously I, I made my comments on Kellen Moore. I thought that there was yeah. a ceiling that it was hit. The other one's kind of – I don't love Joe Philbin as the offensive line coach. I'm okay with Skip Peters, a running back coach. You, you've seen what he's done. I'm okay with the quarterback's coach. You see what the tight ends coach has done with both Blake Jarwin when he's healthy and Dalton Schultz. My problem is our offensive line, you've got pro bowlers – all around, Zach Martin, God, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Tyron Smith, God, I think he's got a good shot at being in the Hall of Fame. Lyle Collins, he was a pro bowler for stretches, at least at times. Sometimes he looks like he might be the best offensive lineman on the team. The problem is those – Lyle Collins was a first-round pick until – there was some off-the-field stuff that ended up getting cleared up for him that caused his stock to 
us to get him undrafted. Yep. If he that stuff isn't there, he's a first round pick. I mean, pretty much everyone said that teams just took him off the board. A yeah, lot he's of like teams. a top ten, top fifteen pick. pick. Yeah, That's so. It. You've got your entrenched talent there. Those are all first-round guys. You bring in a, a day three pick, early day three in Tyler Biotish. You bring in a day two pick in Connor Williams, and you kind of hope that he's going to elevate those guys. They haven't been elevated. I, I miss, like, Bill Callahan. Oh, yeah. You remember when we had Bill Callahan, and, and, the, and the offensive line was just lock-loaded, ready to rock, five starters. They were all fantastic. I was kind of hoping maybe we'd be able to poach uh, someone like that in the offseason. I, I know that McCarthy's loyal to Philbin because of their days in Green Bay. You know, other than the proven guys, the offensive line has been a little inconsistent. Well, you got to know that you're on the hot seat and, you know, any area of the team that struggles, you look to try to improve. So, that – you know, that days with Green Bay stuff should be out the window. Yep. So. I just, you know, he's coaching in Cleveland now. You had to think, even like a Mike Munchak, you know, he's got a fantastic track record with the offensive line. I, I think that's, those are a couple things I'm disappointed about. Love the wide receiver coach signing. God, I hope he's going to unlock some talent um, and, and take those guys to the next level. More obviously disappointed, just a little bit disappointed that we kept Philbin. Um, yeah, I was hoping Jerry Jones's pocket, along with what we have on offense, maybe we could have taken one of those top tier offensive line plays because we've seen the difference. You've seen uh, you you talk about Seth, and this is how we're this is how at least I'm going to wrap up my my spiel. You talk about what we were able to do four, five, six years ago when we had just that number one offensive line in the NFL. The way we were able to sustain drives. Back then, there was really only offensive penalties, at least back. Well, I'm dating even further back to like false start Flozell and, and Mark Colombo. Those are like one or two guys. The problem is offensive penalties were kind of a thing across the line. I mean, you saw Zach Martin getting penalties. Saw Tyler Biotis getting penalties. I mean, Connor Williams was the most penalized guard in the NFL. You saw him from Tyron Smith from time to time. You saw him from Lyle Collins. So, whereas in the past, it was kind of a one or two guy thing, and that's just kind of what they did. Obviously, Collins and, and Smith, I think, are superior talents to um, Adams and um, Mark Colombo. I think if you had Bill Callahan like, like we did in some of those days, I, I think some of that, that – Lack of discipline just gets cleaned up. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I, I feel like the uh, the discipline was def the discipline, not only as a whole, but I mean, yeah, the offensive line. There was a lot of holding calls and uh, that negated big plays for us throughout the year. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think Philbin should have went, and we should have brought in a fresh fish or somebody new or just. I, I, th somebody, I think not necessarily somebody respected, you know, because of, you know, how long they've been in the years coaching, but just somebody new, period, because Philbin just wasn't. Get one working. of those, or just one of those offensive line gurus. Yeah. You can't tell me our situation is not attractive. With Zach Martin, Lyle Collins, Tyron Smith. 
and I can almost guarantee you this offseason the left guard position is going to be replaced. It's going to have to be. So you can't. Uh, we've got too many draft picks. We've got. There's too much of a chance to bring in somebody new. You, you look at like Kansas City that that uh, Trey Smith. It was a sixth round pick. Yep. You look at a lot of guards in the NFL. A lot of the premier guards in the NFL, they're they're not all first round picks. They're not all surefire top fifteen guys. A lot of people don't take guards. Most teams don't take guards that high. Um Quentin Nelson is he's the exception, not the rule. You can get guards later in the draft if you coach them up well. And I think that's that's kind of what I wanted as someone that could have coached up some of the maybe lower grade talent and coached them up into something better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, that was a mistake, um, but it is what it is. It's just gonna have to learn. And it's something. And, it's something I'm gonna monitor a lot this year as we're looking at that offensive line play. If there's still, you know, guys getting blown up in the backfield, you still see some bad technique out of the offensive line. You still see the holding penalties. Part of me is gonna have that, and I think we could have done better outlook. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, and it, and a lot of that could change uh, if if we improve the left guard position. But like you said, it was all it was all the way across the board. You know, players that don't normally do it, uh, like Zach Martin, it was it, it was just it's contagious. It was a contagious season through uh, all the way across the board. So, and I think with that, Seth, I think we've wrapped up this episode, and and we want to thank you guys for sticking around for this episode. And that's, I think the. Seth and I's thought process for at least the next few weeks before free agency starts. We want to try to get on a rookie review. I uh, want to look at the entire rookie class, any undrafted guys that made an impact. Then I think our plan is to go ahead and head over and we'll kind of do a a pre-free agency preview of the offense and then we'll do the defense. It's going to be two separate weeks because we know those are going to be long, long shows, longer than even what we would consider a long show. Um then after that, you know, it's it's draft time and free agency, and as things change, you know, not as soon as we sign a player, but but if we have a week and some big things change and we lose guys or guys get signed to the team, you know, we're going to be here and we want to talk it out, and we're we're trying to be a little more active, especially in this early part of the offseason when, when things are happening. You know, we, we've not always been here when things have happened, and, and that's what we're trying to be better at this offseason, yeah, just and, being here. And, you know, like – after the draft, it's kind of like you got that period where there's not really much going on. So it's like a we don't want to just come on here and just spew out words just just cause to stay weekly. But you know, we want to deliver real news. It's not just well the offensive line coach stubbed his toe or you know something like that. Just, or Dak looked good in seven on seven. Dak supposed to look good in seven yeah, on seven. Yeah. It, it, it's not that we don't like doing it. It's just the fact that if it's if it's nothing really big out there, then it's you know it's not really uh, worth taking the time away from our families to just you know spew words out just to get content. So yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. And uh, we want to thank you guys for being here and supporting the podcast as always. Um, that's that's the biggest thing uh, is just being here supporting us. Subscribe and download. Um, that's the biggest thing we can ask, and and we'll, we'll continue to ask. And 
if you can be so kind, you know, tell a friend, just tell one friend about the podcast and that's, it's kind of how you build this thing. And, and we've gone through some spurts where it's kind of grown and we've, we've seen a lot of, a lot of new membership and a lot of new downloads. We've gone through some stretches where, where it gets a little stale and, um, it's kind of how we have to build this thing is, is slow and in spurts. And, and we want to thank you guys for just sticking it out with us. And Seth, with that, give me your social media account. It's at Seth Rob 85. I'm at A underscore Bo 615. We still have the Twitter page. It's at Back Row Cowboys. And as always, the biggest thing we got, the Back Row Cowboys Facebook page. It's Seth puts everything up there. We're starting to get some good. We're starting to get some conversation in between people in the group. And, and that's, I think, the next big change for this podcast. And the next growth we need is just more interaction with you guys and the fans and, and the people that listen every week. And, As always, we appreciate you sticking it out with us. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. And as always, go Cowboys in 2022.